What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Consequence Podcast Network. My friendship to all of you precludes my involvement with any one of you. But if you want to make love, then I do too. And I'll be right there behind you. Constant listeners, and welcome yet again to The Losers Club, a Stephen King podcast. I am your host, Randall Colburn, and before we get started, I wanted to say thanks to all of you who have left us kind reviews on iTunes or any other place where you consume podcasts. If you haven't yet, please do so. It helps make it helps the podcast, and it makes us feel better about ourselves, so please uh, do it. Uh, today, I'm very excited. I am joined by Meg Hafdal and Kelly Florence, the authors of The Science of Stephen King a brand new book that approaches several of King's stories through a more practical, less supernatural lens. Um, but before we dig too deep into that, I'd love for the both of you to tell us a little bit about yourselves. How would you characterize your love and involvement with horror? Uh, let's start with you, Meg. Okay, well, horror is who I am, um, not to be dramatic, but I, I started loving horror as soon as like I could consume any sort of media. And um, it became my career, you know, pretty early on, I knew I wanted to, to be involved as, as a writer. So I'm a horror fiction writer. And then, um, Kelly and I, we sort of came together as friends because we shared this love of horror. So, um, we started the horror rewind podcast, which she can tell you more about. Um, but yeah, it's, it's just something that, um, whether reading or watching films or TV, it's what I've always loved and been interested in. And um, so it seemed like a natural fit to not only write horror fiction, but now to get to write a book about Stephen King. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's the dream. <laughs> yeah. Was there a particular piece of horror that maybe you saw when you were young that sort of, you know, you knew that this was it for you or it sort of imprinted itself on your brain? Yeah. I mean, you know, just like a lot of um, people our age, we went to Blockbuster and rented um, VHSs. And so I became obsessed with Dawn of the Dead, the <laughs> sequel. And um, and then also, like, I knew anything that had Vincent Price in it was good. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of, like, had my, my movie store movies. But then also just reading. Um, of course, like, I grew up in a time when Goosebumps was really popular. Mm -hmm. And so... I kind of read those, but then I quickly, I quickly wanted to, to get into the meteor stuff. And then that's when I found Stephen King. Nice. How about you, Kelly? So I too uh, have just always loved horror. It's part of my DNA. I tell people, I remember being in first grade and our teacher told us it was supposed to be a very scary story about Bigfoot. 
And I looked out the window and I was like, wow, like maybe he's out there. I hope he is. <laughs> and I was never scared about this kind of stuff. I was just fascinated. Yeah. And so I, uh, my dad got me a copy of Night of the Living Dead on VHS and I wore it out. I, I loved uh, Frankenstein. I love Frankenstein's monster. I loved King Kong. And I, I loved zombies just all together. And so uh, my dad quickly showed me The Shining, which maybe wasn't age appropriate mm. when I was around the same age, but that was my first experience into the world of Stephen King and I've never looked back. Nice. Yeah, my, uh, my dad showed me Taxi Driver when I was way too young. And so <laughs> I about that. I'll say too yeah. though, both, both of those Romero movies, those were super important to me too. Um, Night of the Living Dead, I was able to process a little bit more, I think because it was in black and white and I, I couldn't see the gore as much. Whereas when mm -hmm. I remember I was so, so, so scared of Dawn of the Dead, but it was always playing on cable. And uh, so I would always <laughs> watch it and like cover my eyes because the color of the blood, you know, that bright, that Oh bright yeah, it's like neon. Oh man, it just, it was, yes. it was so scary to me. And so it took me, that was sort of the movie that it was the hurdle I needed to jump to sort of like really embrace horror. Um, so yeah, <laughs> I love that. Um, and so you said the two of you met because you love horror. Uh, was there a particular piece of horror maybe or an author or a filmmaker that maybe united the two of you? So the thing that united us initially was I was wearing an X-Files t-shirt and I walked into a, a store that Meg was working in and she's like, oh my gosh, I love your shirt. We got to talking, we exchanged emails on physical paper, which is what you did back then. <laughs> and so we connected over the X-Files, but then we realized, oh my gosh, we have all of this same love in common. We both love horror movies. We both love Stephen King and we, it, we just bonded. Yeah. I, I think one of the reasons that we bonded was I knew who Bruce Campbell was and <laughs> yeah. she like had never, she did not meet a lot of people who knew Bruce Campbell. <laughs> I think you were the first person who ever knew and I was obsessed. So. <laughs> well, yeah, he is one of those interesting actors where he's so iconic in horror and he's done a lot of non-horror, but like a lot of people who aren't horror fans, like they don't know him as an actor. Whereas if you're a horror fan, you're like, that dude is- Of course, it's Bruce Campbell. <laughs> yeah, it's Bruce Campbell. Um, no, I love that. The Evil Dead movies were also very, very formative for me. Um, cool, and I guess uh, we asked this to a lot of our guests on the podcast. Uh, what was the first Stephen King book you read? And was that the one that won you over? Or did it take maybe a little bit longer? Um, I read Carrie, which I think is appropriate. And I read it when I was about 13, 12 or 13. And so it was like perfect because um, there was just, you know, I always am talking about Stephen King and his characters and, and how, you know, they're so vivid and we empathize with them. But I think for me, like reading Carrie when I was 13 was just the perfect age. And I think it, it just opened this whole new world to me. Yet, yet the character is grounded in like the things that suck about being that age. So mm -hmm. it was like that supernatural element that I love, the horror that I love, but also this character that I could understand on this like really rudimentary level. Mm -hmm. So from that point on, I just, my parents had all the Stephen King books. So then I just had them all at my fingertips and, and I spent a lot of time reading them in my teen years. That's awesome. How about you, Kelly? And oddly enough, I started with Drawing of the Three because my aunt oh. got it for me as a gift. And then I went back and read The Gunslinger. But I was like, wait, what is going on? And I was drawn in. No pun intended, or pun intended, I guess. And it was, it was fascinating. Then, of course, I 
the same with uh, my parents' bookshelf full of Stephen King. So I just went on down the line. Yeah. I feel like drawing of the three might be an easier way in for a lot of people because the gunslinger mm-hmm. often they read it and they're like, ah, oh, this is not for me. <laughs> right. Like, stick with it, you know, do it. Uh, that's great. Yeah. My, my grandma, my parents were not horror fans in any way, shape or form, but my, uh, my grandma, I used to go in her basement. She had like a little library down there and she had a ton of horror books. And I used to just, when I was a kid, like flip through and try to find the gory parts. Um, and I remember I used to, I did that with Christine and I basically, I feel like I read almost the entirety of Christine, just like trying to find the weird parts. And then <laughs> when I, uh, as I got older, my grandma, like finally, she just said, why don't you just take those? <laughs> so I took like all of she had. That was sort of my, my entrance. So yeah. But, um, yeah. So would you say that before you like tackled this project, you had read like a great amount of his work? You guys weren't sort of, you know, you had read maybe even the deep cuts and everything. Oh, oh yeah. Like um, when we uh, came up with the concept, cause this is our, our third science of book. We wrote science right. of monsters, which is like, you know, horror movies and the science of women and horror. But when we came up with this concept, it was like, light bulbs went over our head because I mean, we had already done all the research, not really, but, um, uh, we knew our stuff about Stephen King. We felt like, and I mean, there are some books that she's read and I haven't and vice versa. So there were times where it was like, okay, I will like take over this. And for instance, there were a couple of times I reread the book, um, because I just wanted, you know, a fresh take and to kind of remind myself of some stuff. But I, I don't know, speaking for myself, I'd say that I felt pretty comfortable taking on the Stephen King, you know, world. And also, speaking of that, when we decided who would write each chapter, uh, I felt like some of my worlds collided because I did get to write about drawing of the three, which was so important uh, in my life. And then 112263, because when I was in junior high, I was fascinated with the JFK assassination for some reason. And so I'm like, when world collided already when King wrote that book, but then I get to research even more and write about it. And it was just like a dream come true. I'm living the dream. Yeah, I 1122 is like one of my all time favorites. We're probably not going to get to it on the podcast until, you know, 2025 or something. But at, the, <laughs> at the rate we're going, but, but yeah, that's like, just one of the ones that I absolutely adore. That's super cool. I um, I guess I'm curious. I'd love to to go back a little bit and sort of hear about, because I, yeah, I knew you'd written two science books before this one. Um, how did maybe that first idea, the idea of viewing uh, horror through the lens of science, how did that first come to both of you? Well, um, we're both not scientists. So that's the first kind of thing is that, you know, my background is in literature and Kelly's background is in communication and film and theater. So um, I think for us, it was about learning something new. You know, you yeah. feel like um, with horror movies, you can watch them 10 times over. And some of those movies, you learn something new even then. But I think for us, we really wanted to uncover things that we didn't know about and we wanted to talk to experts. And um, it's like a whole new way to look at something you love. And so I think what makes the book approachable is that it's from our perspective of we're just learning along with you. You know, we're not talking about like high concept chemistry right off the bat. You know, we're we're going step by step on these things because we're learning them too. So um, I think for us, it's we both really like doing research, like, we, our dream is to like be in, you know, a dusty library and like, you know, we, we like that sort of thing. So I think for us doing not just the science, but the biography in this book 
and the history yeah. and all that, it's been such a great time. I was going to say the other thing about coming at it from that science perspective is that, you know, just learning about some horror movies or in this uh, Stephen King case about the uh, idea for a novel or a story and it's based in truth. Yeah. And so, uh, so often people just dismiss horror movies or a horror novel. Well, that's all made up and that's not even scary because it's, it's so fantastical, but this, and these books prove and our research just, we discovered that a lot of this stuff is based in truth and real science. And that's even more terrifying right, than right. fiction. Yeah. That's cool. I, um, uh, I'm, and you guys incorporate too beyond science. You just, you mentioned biography a little bit. You guys do delve into some, a lot of the things that happened to King and the things that he struggled with. Uh, how much of his biography were you aware of before you started? And were there any things that you learned about him during your research that maybe was surprising or, uh, maybe just changed your view of him a little bit? Well, I, um, Obviously, he's been really open about his struggles with addiction, so mm -hmm. that was something that I knew. Um, but it was interesting to sort of take his biography and sort of um, pace it out with his books and see the reflection, like, mm -hmm. of what was happening in his life and how that was reflected in his literature. So I very much like that. And also, um, I write about the incident when he was um, a toddler in which he saw a, a horrific accident. Mm -hmm. um, which I did not know about. And so I thought this idea, you know, everybody, I think, especially for horror fans, everybody's like trying to figure out why you like horror, because if, if they're not inside the bubble, they're just like confused. Like why? <laughs> um, so I think, you know, a lot of people love to point to that and be like, Oh, he witnessed this, this child get hit by a train. So therefore, you know, he, he's the, the king of horror or whatever. I don't think it's that simple, mm -hmm. but I like the idea of like, you know, child psychology and like what, you know, he doesn't have memory of it, but I kind of like the idea that, you know, maybe it implanted something in his brain or something like that. So there was lots of interesting things. And speaking of the, the history and the biography, just the history of what was happening in the world at the time, mm -hmm. because we take for granted that, well, oh yeah, that novel came out in, you know, 84, whatever. But look at a reflection of what was happening, you know, politically or worldwide or in the state where he was at that time, the state of, you know, physical being or emotional, mental being. And it puts a new spin on, on everything. And you look deeper, it's like, okay, wow, this is why, yeah. at, you know, he wrote about this at this time. Yeah, absolutely. We went, we kind of, uh, it was last year, uh, late last year that we kind of went through the period of his career when he was becoming sober and books like Misery and the Tommyknockers were sort of written at the height of his addiction. And both of them mm -hmm. are so clearly about the struggles of that addiction, especially Misery, um, and feeling, you know, imprisoned by his own addictions in a lot of ways. And, and also just speaking of the history of the world too, like Tommyknockers, especially not one of, not a lot of King fans favorite <laughs> books, but we have a really fun episode about it because we delve into as well, not just sort of his state of mind at that time, which was, you know, uh, not well, but also his, um, also the state of the world at that time, because a lot of what was happening politically um, uh, was really influencing a lot of what was happening within that book, um, just in terms of, you know, I don't know, certain visions of apocalypse, I think, uh, are super, super interesting. So yeah, I, I, we, that's something that we try to emphasize on the pod is, is, you know, of what we know, like, what can we glean? We just went through his early books, um, uh, of the 90s when he was writing a lot of uh, female protagonists, Dolores Claiborne, uh, Rose Matter, uh, Gerald's Game, books like that. And um, it's been it's been interesting to sort of 
view those through the lens of like now versus the early 90s when we read a lot of uh, reviews that came out around the time of say Dolores Claiborne critics it's it's almost fascinating because critics will write it uh certain critics criticized it for being like man shaming for like uh for <laughs> demonizing men you know and oh, I'm just no. yeah and it's like it's like oh wow that was sort of the temperament at the time wasn't it you oh, know and it's funny. like I know and that's so so strange now so that that to me I it's that the context of it is really important and something I think a lot of people uh, tend not to do with King but yeah I guess I'm curious how you went about uh picking out topics um I mean I imagine there were some that maybe were right on your mind or did you kind of just go through each book and examine sort of the central horror and maybe branch out from there for me like the best way to describe it is I go down the rabbit hole that I find the most interesting. Mm. So, you know, because I'm going to be writing it and spending time with it. And I believe that if I find it interesting, then someone must. <laughs> mm -hmm. So I, for instance, for needful things, um, I have never really like thought very hard about whether we have a soul or not. That's not mm -hmm. something I've like spent a lot of time contemplating, but it was really interesting to for me to go down that road and see what, you know, actual people who call themselves scientists and then people who really are scientists are trying to prove whether the soul exists. And I thought that was just a really fascinating take. And it's not something I really thought of right away, but it's fun when you kind of delve back into the work and you look at it from this new angle. It's like, oh, that's something I wouldn't mind, you know, reading about and researching about. So um, for me, it was really about taking the road that I thought would bring about the the most excitement and the most interest for me and then hopefully that reflects in my writing you know sure yeah how about you Kelly like what topics maybe leapt out at you so when I go through and reread the the book the source material or rewatch the film in the case of the other books we've written I write down some possible science related topics that pop out of course but then same thing as meg i take that's just like pulling a thread and mm. maybe it doesn't go anywhere but sometimes it leads down a really interesting path and then you think oh, wait who who could i interview about this for example i ended up interviewing a woman who does aura photography oh. and i had i had no personal experience with that and um uh, you know it's we they talk about auras in insomnia for example and it's just it was like a different way, just like Meg said, you normally wouldn't think about the concept of a soul. I, I don't go around thinking about people's auras, right. but to talk to somebody who does that for a living, then it's, it's this new and interesting perspective. Yeah. Yeah, we talked a lot about auras. We just did insomnia a few months ago, and uh, that's a really interesting topic. Aura photography is not something I've heard of. Was that uh, was that interesting to learn about a little bit? <laughs> it was, and it is. We found out it's so popular in Japan, and yeah. um, there was this run on the the specific type of film that they use for aura photography because uh, Kodak or Fuji was discontinuing it, and it's so specific, and so it's. Uh, it's interesting because as soon as we start to learn about these little concepts, then we start noticing them in other media or other news stories or, or whatever it may be. So we're learning with everyone. <laughs> yeah. And you know, it's interesting. I, I'm fascinated by kind of, because you guys didn't just uh, 
you know, you explored sort of the big science uh, question with King, which is the idea of alternate universes. I mean, all King fans know that, you know, there are more worlds than these and his books are not all connected, but many of them are connected uh, by this concept of parallel universes or, well, not parallel, but, uh, you know, adjacent multiverse. universes. Yeah, yeah, multiverse. And so I'm curious, like, <laughs> like maybe you could uh, tease a little bit of the book, like when you, how do you go about discussing sort of, of an idea that large and what were maybe a takeaway or two that you got that maybe Maybe could maybe lends a little credence to King's idea of the multiverse. You know, this was one of those topics, and Meg, I'm sure you've run into these too, where it is so deep, and you can go down so many uh, rabbit holes, so to speak, that uh, putting it into perspective and sort of dumbing it down for for my own understanding, and then to write about it is it was a process, and that concept itself multiverse and parallel universes and and even time travel or like the butterfly effect we talk about all of it in the book and it's it is so fascinating because it is so possible i know um some people don't believe it but what we what we came across in our research and um talking about our, and listening to other experts there's there's a lot of proof and um i don't know it's it's uh it's right it's right for horror yeah, I, uh, as somebody who is online a lot, one of my jobs uh, is is to sort of sift through what is what is being discussed in culture. And I feel like more and more these days, I see legit science publications discussing ideas of other of other realities and things of that nature. And it's it's something. And of course, I always go back to King with it. And it's uh, it's just something that um, I don't know really fascinates me. Was yeah. there any discoveries that you made maybe throughout the process that? change the way you viewed a book or that maybe made a book scarier or maybe less scary? Ooh, that's a good question. You know, I mean, sometimes like the realism and you start to, like I was doing research um, just on misery. I was doing research about like the sort of medical, I mean, obviously she's using really crude, mm-hmm. you know, medicine, not, not really helping him at all, Paul Sheldon, but she's, the reality of it was really scary to me when I started reading it um, about like setting bones and things like that. And sometimes like in fiction, I mean, Stephen King does such a great job of like showing the absurdity of uh, what's going on and like the absurdity of the violence sometimes too, that, that like knowing how good he is at actually describing um, the pain and the, uh, the bone breaking and the bruise and the blood, he actually is really good at that. Um, scientifically, which is very cool. And also I think for me, um, I went into research for the dark half and I got into, um, twins, yeah. like the twins that are absorbed, you know, we've heard of that. And I don't know, once I went down that rabbit hole, I was, um, like, I felt nauseous and I consider myself like a very, (laughs) I can handle like any gory horror movie, whatever. But sometimes when that reality is, Uh is combined and then it was like, I'm reading the dark half and I'm just like, Oh wow. Like I'm feeling it even more. So I feel like understanding some of these things can really help illuminate the fiction, which is fun. Yeah, I think 
like King's relationship to pain and the way he describes yeah. pain in his books is something is something to me that is really key to his appeal that they're punishing to read sometimes. But I think King does a, one of the things he does in his books that I find fascinating is he often develops character through pain, like by forcing mm. us to sort of suffer with a character. Um, and that's something to me that has always been really effective, but also really, uh, I don't know. Um, it's, it's a bit squeamish. And like, I, I think a lot about, <laughs> I, if there's, uh, I, I didn't get this far in the book. I'm curious you guys, cause you talk about night shift a little bit in the book. Did you, Oh, wait, no, I'm sorry. Did you talk about, because I'm thinking of The Raft, which was Skeleton Crew. Um, I've always been fascinated if the scene when the guy is kind of pulled through the slats of the deck, if the way that King describes sort of his body breaking, if it's in any way scientifically accurate. Did you get to The Raft at all? We didn't. And that's the that's the problem. And also uh, made potential... Uh, sequel to this book is that there's so many works there's we couldn't so talk about every yeah. short story we only did a few right. and so we'll have to look into that <laughs> yeah the raft is to me just one of the gnarliest uh, stories uh, <laughs> when we when we did our skeleton crew ranking it was it was very much towards the top and and when I we sort of commemorated the release of the book recently and the way I did it was by reading the scene uh, where he um, goes through the deck because to me it's just one uh, of the most like punishing scenes of violence in any of his books and I would be very curious to know uh how scientifically accurate that is but hearing that he does his research makes me think that it's probably uh pretty pretty like that um um so uh Kelly I'm curious was there any books there or discoveries or things that uh you found that maybe um I don't know contributed to your experience with a book yeah, so there's two examples. The first was Carrie, which is the first chapter in our book because it was the first book that he had published. Yeah. And instead of going down uh, obvious t about telekinesis or, or bullying, we talk about it a bit, but I found it fascinating to discover the history of uh, different cultures and different mm -hmm. religions and their view of menstruation yeah. because it's a common thing. It's, it's uh, half the population experiences it, yet it has been demonized and uh, women made to feel shame throughout history because of a natural occurring phenomenon. Mm -hmm. And also though, on the flip side, women are revered for it. And they would think uh, some cultures believe that that was a blessing to their crops if they had a woman menstruating nearby. And so that made me look at that entire novel in a different way. And then the other one that I was getting squeamish over was um, research for the Green Mile mm. and the history of capital punishment throughout throughout uh, the centuries and just how horrific and uh, speaking of King writing accurate uh, death scenes or torture mm. or pain, reading about some of these things that humans have done to other humans, it's horrific and terrifying. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, especially in Green Mile, so there's some scenes in that that, you know, are tough to read. That's actually our next book that we're talking about next month. So uh, very excited for that. Um, yeah. I'm curious if you guys, when you spoke to these scientists and these academics, did you find that maybe more of them or less of them were actual fans of Stephen King? So I actually, the I went reverse where I went hunting and searching in Stephen King groups for scientists oh, interesting. Yeah, because I wanted people who were open to discussing it on that level. Yeah. 
Um, because we've, in our previous two books, we've had people who, um, you know, don't know anything about horror to people who did. And I just felt like for this book, I really wanted people who had at least read something of his or were a fan of, you know, even just one of his books. Um, because I wanted them to be able to sort of um, see it through the lens as a reader and a scientist. Yeah. Uh, so I think most of the people I talked to, I don't know about you, Kelly, um, but I think most of the people we interviewed were Stephen King fans, if not all. You know, and I, I didn't go about it that way. I looked for the expert first and then just happened to find out if they were a King fan or not. There was only one person who has ever rejected doing an interview because she said she's not a fan of Mr. King and she refused to do the interview for the book. And I was like, okay, that's fine. And I found someone else, but everybody else was uh, immediately. And I, I didn't purposely go looking for fans immediately responded with, I'm a huge King fan. Of course. Yeah. I'd love to talk about this. Yeah. I def I think that over time, you know, I think a lot of the um, perhaps sneering at his popularity that happened, especially in the nineties and times mm -hmm. like that as has changed a lot because, you know, now the generation that grew up on King are the ones who are, um, you know, making the movies about him and doing the, the writing about him and, and speaking about him. So I think that he's this sort of boom that's happened in terms of especially cinematic adaptations with King. It, it's, it's, it's surprising maybe at first, but then when you think about it, it's like, well, these are all the people that, you know, they used to read, you know, Salem's Lot under their blanket with a flashlight. So of course mm -hmm. they love King. Um, and, I, and I think that his books, you know, hold up. Uh, as as an adult, you discover new things, you become more attached to the characters. I mean, for me, you know, when I read Gerald's Game when I was, you know, 13 years old, it it was good, but I didn't have, you know, I didn't really have reference mm -hmm. or, or context to really find my way into it. Whereas when I reread it as an adult, I'm like, well, this is incredible. I love this book. Um, so yeah, I think that's one of the joys of reading King as well. Are there any other things? I have sort of a fun, um, uh, King bonus round I want to do uh, to hear your guys's like kind of broad thoughts on on the author but um, was there anything else you wanted to say about the book or things that uh, maybe your your elevator pitch to people who are considering whether or not they want to buy it sure I think that this book is obviously for constant readers um, they are going to appreciate I think some new ways to look at their favorite books and stories but I also would recommend it for people who have never read King mm -hmm. and maybe they want to sort of dip their toe into the pool and see, you know, what, if they want to see kind of what science interests them and then they can go into it that way yeah. and maybe they'll appreciate the fiction, you know, more. So, um, it is approachable. You know, we, we interview scientists. We also interview people who write for television. We got to interview Richard Chismar. So it was, oh, it was nice. a really cool thing. Yeah. So, um, you know, I think it's something that has, you know, a bite-sized information for you and um, it will give you trivia for the Halloween party coming up. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the Zoom Halloween party. So. <laughs> uh, how about you, Kelly? Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, I've also heard from non-Stephen King fans who uh, have picked up the book and said, okay, I never knew this and or about him or about this story and now I need to go read it or I'm going to yeah. go watch the movie. And so I'm like, yay, I'm converting people <laughs> to be King fans. <laughs> like, we'll take it. I mean, honestly. And and like you were saying about the view of, of him, you know, him not being a real writer or not, yeah. it's not high quality. He, it's so quality. And uh, speaking of one of my favorites too, 112263, that, I mean, that stands up, it, you know, in any literary 
uh, genre, I think, and not just horror. And so people need to give them a chance. Absolutely. And I think our book will help maybe help them do that. Yeah. Well, that's great. Uh, speaking of Richard Schismar, did you see that there's a third Gwendy's Button Box book coming out? It's very exciting. Yeah, I know. It's so yeah. exciting. I know. I'm a big fan of the first one. I still haven't read the second one, but I'm definitely on it now. So um, cool. Uh, so fun King bonus round. Uh, favorite King book, uh, Meg? Needful Things. Oh, wow. We just, we did our episode on that back in January. <laughs> It's honestly one of my favorites too. I like. Oh, that's over. awesome! It was well when I was when I was really young. It was my all-time favorite, and then Wizard and Glass bumped it out. And now that I'm, uh, but now that I'm, you know, I'm just doing this podcast. I'm sort of reserving my judgment of what my favorites are. But Needful Things is definitely at the top. I love the ensemble books, uh, especially. Um, Kelly, how about you? So I I need to go drawing the three because it was my gateway into the Dark Tower series, which I would say is my all-time favorite series but if i have to go with another standalone i already said it eleven twenty two sixty three. it's so good uh least favorite king book that you've read um elevation oh yeah i agree <laughs> not great <laughs> okay good well i'm glad we're on the same page <laughs> how about you kelly i i guess i would say sell i'm yeah. sorry that's one of the ones i haven't read i think i've i've uh I think there's four or five that I haven't read and Cell is one of them. Yeah. So uh, I, I only got partway through. So yeah. Yeah. I will, I will just say we are like, we're not necessarily a fan cast for King as much as we love him. And we have devoted many, many hours of our lives to it. We are very critical when uh, you know, we feel like, like we have to be, that makes the, the good books that much better. So um, favorite King short story that comes to mind. Uh, what do you think, Kelly? I, I, I it's so hard. Yeah, there's so many good ones. I don't, I don't know that what's what's coming to mind. I can't think of the the title of it now. Um, it's in Nightmares and Dreamscapes. I don't know. You have to. You have. I pass. Meg, how about you? I I am the absolute worst at um, titles of his short stories, but I I loved. Did you read his latest with the four new four novellas in it? I did. Yeah. Okay. The one. Um, the <laughs> damn it uh oh god we're so old um, wait i have one... a copy of it right here okay the i'm gonna tell you thing. the title okay yeah read um, it quick kelly rat the life of chuck yeah the life of chuck i yep. love that yeah <laughs> i thought that was awesome okay yeah we you. did a few we did two episodes on on let it bleed and uh and yeah, the life of Chuck was a huge hit for the majority of the pod. So, um, oh, okay. I feel like that means you didn't like it. I was not a fan. <laughs> oh. I could just read it in you. I could tell. <laughs> I was the dissenting voice. I didn't dislike it. It, it just uh, I had I had certain issues with it that I struggled with. But I okay. will say I liked it more after discussing it with everybody because oh, okay. yeah, because I and I kind of want to reread it, and I'm actually excited that. Uh, Darren Aronofsky is considering making it into a movie. Oh. I think that could be super interesting. Like that would be. Yeah, somebody who has experience sort of telling fractured stories. I'd love to see what he could do with that. So yes. Yeah. Um, how about favorite Stephen King character? Oh, oh, that's so hard, Kelly. You get to you pass, I'm, so you have to. Well, I know I'm gonna go with um, grown up 
um, Danny Torrance. Ah, uh, yeah. In uh, Doctor Sleep. Mm-hmm. That's Ooh, a good one. Interesting. Yeah, he's what really. Okay. Yeah, he's what really carries Doctor Sleep. That's a book that I mostly like, but my, the best part of the books for me are when it's all like laser focused on Danny. Like the opening. 50 pages, 70 pages of that book are like some of my favorite thing writing ever. Um, How about you, Meg? I'm going to go with the first person who came to my mind was Dolores Claiborne, Mm, actually. Um, Sometimes being a bitch is all a woman has to hold on to. That's my favorite quote (laughs) of all time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, mine, by the way, is Henry Bowers because I'm a total. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, it's storming here, so you might hear thunder. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's it's actually kind of chilling and cool. Um, favorite movie adaptation of a Stephen King book or short story? We're both fans of The Shining. We actually have the Grady Girls one on each of our arms so that oh. when we're together, we stand next to each other and they hold hands. So. Oh, that's so cool. <laughs> that's such a great idea for a tattoo. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah, Kelly came up with that idea. So she's she's the best tattoo idea person. She, <laughs> I, yeah, if you ever need help. But uh, yeah, The Shining. I know that Stephen King, I know, I know, I know yeah. he doesn't like it. It's but so I love it. Yeah. Yeah, I absolutely love it. I One of the things I found so fascinating about the film version of Dr. Sleep was how it essentially yes. had this like, Herculean task to sort of reconcile the book you know, Stephen King's book and Stanley Kubrick's movie. And I thought it did it really well, like as as best as it possibly could. How about least favorite movie adaptation, or at least just one that you really feel like perhaps doesn't quite capture the magic of of King's prose? You know, something that we rewatched for our Horror Rewind podcast within the past couple of years was... um, is it what is it called graveyard shift see i'm bad with oh, names yeah. now the, the rat one is that yep. the rat one with Brad and and we were just like wow this is so drawn out and boring and and so maybe we liked it at one point but it just didn't hold up to yeah. my attention span now i don't know yeah that was that was our interpretation of it as well so yeah. how about you Meg? <laughs> I would actually say, and it's not that it's terrible, but since it's my favorite book, I would say I think Needful Things could use a different film. I I, I would like to see one that maybe captures the magic a little bit more. Yeah, I totally agree. There's just something missing there. And uh, have you seen the extended version that's like, three hours long yeah we the only way one of our listeners uh bless him sent us like a video a rip of it that was on tbs um and it is it is so strange like some parts of it it does it does help the movie because it digs into the town a little bit more and you get a little bit more time with uh leland gaunt and stuff but there is an opening it's one of the most baffling things i've ever seen it the the initial (laughs) film this was cut from theatrical it opens with a car chase like leland comes into town and like yeah and like basically like he's an action star (laughs) yeah it's a huge like high budget explosions like the cops are chasing this car throughout town and then like there's literally giant explosions and stuff and it's leland's car but you like don't see him and uh so they're just (laughs) chasing this random car and it is so strange and like clearly it was like a mandate of the studio or something like we need right. to start this movie off, you know, and it just doesn't work at all. Um, so yeah, I remember we were like, did we start this in the middle of the movie? Like what is happening? <laughs> yeah. So anyways, I would, I would say though, if you're ever bored and uh, you find a copy of the, um, of the extended version, it's at least worth a watch, but it's, it's very. Strange. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and I'm intrigued. 
last, oh wait, no, yeah, last last bonus round question. A movie adaptation you'd like to see, uh, but haven't yet. And this can also include perhaps, and like you said, like maybe a good version of Needful Things, you can, um, you can also go with that. So, but what do you think, Kelly? I'm excited for, and it's happening soon, is this updated The Stand. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, no, yeah, I'm excited. Yeah, we are too. We uh, we've done like we're so anticipating it. We did like two episodes breaking down each of the trailers that have come out. Nice. So, so we're watching <laughs> it closely, and we'll probably be dedicating a good chunk of uh, December and January to to recapping that. But how about you, Meg? Yeah, I'm excited for that. Um, obviously, like I said, yeah, needful things would be cool. And there's always there's like talk for decade. You know, the last. 20 years about a Tommyknockers and yeah. I feel like it could be done really cool. Like I feel like if the right person had it in their hands, it would be awesome. Yeah. There's talk about it. Like uh, I think last year or maybe two years ago, there was an announcement that uh, James Wan, I think was producing mm-hmm. Tommyknockers. So I'm, I'm keeping my eye out on it. We're, we're watching that closely. Cause I also okay. think it's really cool because I am sort of uh, a Tommyknocker apologist on the pod. Yeah, me too. <laughs> I, kind of, I kind of really love a lot of it. Um, and so, uh, so yeah, I, I'm hoping to see a good version of it. And I, I will say, like, in terms of my least favorite adaptations, I think the TV movie of Tommyknockers is up there for me. I, I absolutely hate it. So. Yeah, it's bad. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, to wrap up, I'd love to hear a little bit more about the Horror Rewind podcast and, uh, you know, what... Um, listeners can expect uh, when they give an episode a listen. Sure. So we started off rewatching the horror movies from our childhood that we used to rent on rent on VHS and seeing if they still lived up to um, sort of the lens of now and yeah. were they as good as we remembered. A lot of times they were. Sometimes they surpassed our expectations. Some movies are like, wow, I can't believe I rented that multiple times from my <laughs> video store. Uh, but now since we've expanded into covering newer things as well because we're such horror fans we want to talk about things that are are current and so we we delve into the past still but we're also talking about everything new in the world of horror and not just um movies but tv shows and and literature as well awesome yeah is there one episode you think that might be a great gateway for uh new listeners you know there this entire month um and into November, we're replaying all of our Stephen King's greatest hits. Oh, fun. So I think if that might be a gateway for your, your listeners. Yeah, for, um, I also for. think one of our favorite episodes and most popular was um, our episode on Texas Chainsaw Massacre. So for other horror fans, I think that's a good one to listen to. Yeah, that's, uh, I, I don't know. I'm always changing what is my favorite horror movie, but I think that's my favorite horror movie. So. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Um, well, cool. This has been so fun. Did you have any other plugs that you wanted to share before we sign off? Meg has a, another, um, her third novel in her trilogy is coming out this month. Meg, do you want to talk about that? Yeah. Oh yeah. You can check me out at meghopdoll.com. I'm on Amazon and yeah, my third novel, The Darkest Hunger is coming out October 24th and it's, you know, horror. And if you like reading Stephen King, you might just like this too. Awesome. Well, that's great. Uh, and so The Science of Stephen King, it's out now. Highly recommend you read it. You can find it on Amazon. You can probably also find it in local bookstores. Um, and so, yeah, next week we're going to be back. We're reviewing Shudder's Creepshow Halloween special. Um, and we're excited for that. And then after that, next month, we're gearing up, as I mentioned earlier, The Green Mile is our next book. So it's a long one. So if you haven't started that, get going on it now. And uh, yeah, I just want to say thanks to Kelly and Meg. This has been so fun chatting with you all. And um, 
I'm going to sign off. Long days and pleasant nights. Consequence Podcast Network.